1: Alrighty, welcome to Vitality Radio. I am your host each and every Saturday morning. My name is Jared St. Clair. It's good to be with you on another beautiful Saturday. So nice here in Salt Lake City. The sun is shining brightly. The sky is blue. There's I can't see a single cloud. But the last few days, the white clouds. Oh, beautiful, amazing time of year. Always look forward to springtime. A lot of good stuff going on. We got March Madness upsets like crazy. I'm going to upset a couple of people during my rant, so that's cool, too. Goes right in hand in hand with what's going on there. And today, we have some exciting stuff happening. I've got one of the smartest dudes I've ever met in my whole life, Karan Krishnan, is coming on, and he is going to be talking about probiotics. Now, probiotics, one of the most technical subjects in nutrition. Uh, Very confusing to a lot of people. The marketing out there for probiotics is Big and powerful and oftentimes misleading. So we're going to cut to the chase and tell you what's true and what's not when it comes to probiotics. That's going to be the primary topic of the show. But we're also going to talk about a couple of things that are going on with government stuff. We're going to talk about the media and their silliness. And we're going to talk about the Natural Living Conference, which I'm going to be speaking at later this afternoon. 2 o'clock p.m. I'll be speaking up at the U of U, the Roy Olpen Center, I believe it's called, uh, which is the Student Union Building. Vitality Radio always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition and Bountiful at 107 South. 500 West. You can call us at 801-292-6662 if you have any questions about the show and, of course, to win your free passes to the Natural Living Conference, 801-292-6662. Okay, so there's your announcements for the day. I need to get going quick because I've got two things to rant about here in just a second, and then we're going to have a really smart guy on talking about probiotics. You're going to love this interview. It's really, really great. I've heard him interviewed already on other radio shows. And this interview, of course, will supersede anything he's done in the past because, well, it's Vitality Radio. It's pretty awesome. But uh, Karan will be on in just a little bit, and we'll be talking probiotics. If you're curious about probiotics, antibiotics, how it all works, interacts, and something called the microbiome, we'll be talking about that. And it all sounds pretty scientific. Uh, We're going to boil it down to information that you can use that I think will be fascinating to you. certainly going to be fascinating to me. But now, without further ado, it is Saturday morning, and on Saturday morning, generally speaking, what happens throughout the week is I wake up on uh, you know Monday morning. It's time to get back to work. Life is good. Monday mornings bring all kinds of excitement for the week, the things that need to happen, the things that need to get done, the people I get to meet with and work with and help. And then by Friday, just enough has happened to kind of ruffle my feathers a little bit. And Saturday morning, it's time for therapy. It's the morning rant.
0: In a world full of often confusing messages about health, let Jared be your guide through the smoke screens of corporate greed, media bias, government ineptitude, and propaganda. When you see what is really happening,
1: you'll be ranting too. It's time to expose the hidden agendas. It's time for the
0: truth. It's time for the Vital Rant.
1: Well, well, well. Maggie Fox. We meet again. Maggie Fox is a writer for NBCNews.com. She does health stuff, or at least what they call health stuff. And she's been on the show before. I've uh, quoted a few things that she's written because she writes a lot about stuff that, well, I'm very interested in. And here we have a study uh, that she's reporting on that uh, the headline reads, Most Who Get Measles Aren't Vaccinated, the American Medical Association Study. So what does that mean to you? If you just read the headline, which is what most people do when it comes to the news, because let's face it, we don't have time to read every article. And most of the time on the evening news, all they give you is the headline and a little bit of subtext. What does that mean? Most who get measles aren't vaccinated, according to the Medical American Medical Association study. Now, when I hear "most," I think seventy percent, eighty percent, ninety percent, ninety-nine percent. You know, some high number. Seventy, in fact, seems low for most, doesn't it? I don't even know. I should have looked it up in the dictionary. Uh, what does "most" mean? Maybe somebody can look up what "most" the definition of "most" is on uh, the dictionary. But here's what it says. A study published in the Journal of American Medical Association answers a question that came up during the 2014-2015 measles outbreak linked to Disneyland. You guys all remember that. It made national news. 100-plus people got sick, and they think it was spreading wild throughout Disneyland with all the you know people wait, waiting in lines and standing right next to each other on a hot day. Uh, well, the question is – The question was at the time, is it because of the unvaccinated or because of the vaccinated? Because they didn't report this much in the news, but there's something called vaccine shedding. Maybe you've not heard of it. Vaccine shedding uh, happens with the measles vaccine. It will take uh, sometimes 7 to 10 days before someone who has recently been vaccinated to stop shedding the virus, meaning that they stop being a – what's the word I'm looking for? They stop being, (laughs) I can't think of the word now, contagious. There we go. Because once they're vaccinated, it actually makes them, it gives them a little dose of the measles and they become contagious uh, for about uh, seven to 10 days in some cases. So we know that. That's scientifically proven. But every time that the measles outbreak happens, you know, there was one here in Utah last year, uh, it's always blamed on the unvaccinated. So when we read these headlines like this, most who get measles aren't vaccinated, according to the medical American Medical Association study, then we would think that's a high percentage, right? Well, I ran the numbers because I found it very interesting. In fact, when I first read the headline, I wanted to know what most meant. Of the 970 measles cases with detailed vaccination data, 574 cases were unvaccinated, 574 out of 970. That is 59%. So I guess it is technically most, right? Because 50.1% would be most versus the 40 point, or 499 But the headline makes this sound a lot worse than it is. My question is, why did the forty Percent of the people who were vaccinated get the measles if the vaccine is as effective as they're telling us it is. Why is it that 40% of the people that got vaccinated against the measles still got the measles? It's really a question for me because they never ever put the headline like that. See, my headline would have said almost half of the people who get the measles each year are vaccinated fully against the measles. And a little more than half are not. So then the question becomes, of course, bigger than that because we have to talk about this herd immunity thing that they talk about all the time. And there's so many other uh, topics when it comes to vaccination. But just beware of the headlines. Don't ever take it as what it says Read beneath the surface and you will find that most of the time the media is leading you a specific direction. Now I don't do this very often, but we're ranting twice today because they're both little short ones and they're both important. Did you know? Did you know that sugar in the American diet is too high? That's what the government is now telling us. For the first time in ever that they've ever ever said eat less sugar. Now diabetes is on the increase at a what they literally call an epidemic rate of speed and obesity is now affecting almost 70% of Americans and yet in 2015, late 2015, the government for the first time said maybe we ought to eat less sugar. Congratulations. Now why did it take them so long to make that point, to make that statement? Maybe it has something to do with food lobbyists. Did you know that there are food lobbyists back in Washington? Of course, there's every kind of lobbyist back in Washington. Heck, I go back to Washington once a year and lobby for the rights for people to take nutritional supplements. So there's all kinds of people back there. But the food lobby is a powerful one because what do we spend more money on than food in this country? Well, pharmaceuticals, but yeah, they're right up there close. The two biggest, most powerful lobbies there are just about. So the food lobby, you know, it has all its pieces, right? We have the sugar lobby. We have the corn lobby. We have the wheat lobby. We have the uh, processed food lobby. We have the grocery uh, manufacturers of American lobby. There's so many of them. And they're all part of this big conglomerate of people that are trying to convince the government to convince us that what they make is okay to eat. So the sugar lobby has been pretty effective over the years at telling the government, hey, back off of sugar, man. But this year, the government finally, I don't know, listen to other lobbyists? It's a little confusing. Regardless, now they say we should have less than 10% of our diet from processed, refined sugars. And in the past, they've not made any recommendation. But guess what? Americans get more like 20% of their diet from sugars. In many cases, it's much higher than that because a lot of people don't eat much sugar. And that means that if the average is 20%, there are a lot of people way higher than that 20%. So the government's saying maybe we ought to back off just a little bit. Well, also on NBC News, there was an interesting article. And so I want to go through it a little bit because there's a new study that is, I think, more alarming than this article makes it sound. It says that over half – now, this is interesting because it's the same website, right? (laughs) Over half – over half of our diet in America now comes from ultra-processed foods. What is an ultra-processed food? An ultra-processed food would be many fast foods. It would be packaged foods that have as a high level of chemicals and a very high level of refinement. They don't consider ultra-processed to be pasteurized, homogenized milk, which in my opinion is ultra-processed, or even dairy products at all other than uh, the sugary-sweet Dairy products like strawberry milk or chocolate milk, they count those in there. But ultra-processed foods make up almost 60%. But the article headline says over half, over half of our diet comes from ultra-processed foods. The headline on the vaccine article said most of the people getting the measles were unvaccinated. But guess what? The numbers are 57.9% versus 59%. So we're really dealing with the same number, give or take 1.5%. And yet, the headline from the editors sure makes it sound a lot different when we say most versus over half. But that's beside the point. Over half of what we're eating is true, full-on junk food in America now. And we wonder why we have a diabetes problem or a heart disease problem or so many other issues, cancer and so on and so on and so on. Well, you are what you eat and we are eating really, really poorly. So let's talk about this for just a minute because they decided that it made a lot of sense during this article. They thought we should include a video with a dietician, a registered dietician, because registered dietitians are taught what we really should and shouldn't eat, right? They go by the food plate that genius Michelle Obama put together for us, and they then teach us how we should eat. And of course, for all the years that the government has made recommendations on how we should eat, they have always been wrong. They're still wrong, but they're more right when it comes to sugar, at least now, Only 10% of our diet should come from refined processed sugars, and of course, many people think it should be lower than that. But there's this video that they included in this article, and it is choice in so many ways. The first part of the video is an interview with a spokesperson for the USDA, and she strategically doesn't answer the question that the interviewer asked. Let's listen to this video real quick. Has the food lobby
0: had an oversized role in setting these guidelines? I think we have a strong set of recommendations that are not impacted in any undue way, but have listened to all the voices.
1: Okay, so she says, I think we have a very strong set of guidelines that are not, pause, impacted in any undue way, but we have listened to all the voices. What exactly does that mean? I think you have to read between the lines there a little bit. In other words, they are impacted, not in an undue way, but they are impacted by the food lobby, and they do listen to all of those voices. And I would say not just those voices, but also the money that those voices have behind them. So, in other words, when we give the guidelines for how we should eat in America, we are listening to the food lobby, and then we are making our best effort to not let it impact us, well, not too much, right? Now, they're interviewing a dietitian in the same video, and she's sitting there. Let me paint the picture for you. If you want to see this, it's on NBCNews.com, and it's, it's truly one of the more entertaining videos out there. I'll post it on our Facebook page. And they're interviewing a dietitian. Dietitians are taught by the government because that's who writes the books here. You know, the food lobby mostly uh, writes the books on dietitian – that dietitians read in order to become dietitians. So, you know, no, nothing against dietitians, but they are taught incorrect principles for the most part, and then they go off and trumpet those same principles to us. So they're interviewing one of these ladies, and she seems like a very nice lady and a mother of two, from what I could tell in the video. And she's there around the family table, her and her husband and her two little ones. The little ones are probably, I don't know, four and six years old, something like that. And at the very end of the video, they ask her oldest daughter, what is your favorite vegetable? Let's listen to her response. Technical difficulties.
0: Indeed, the sugar industry criticized the recommendations to cut sugar consumption.
1: What's your favorite vegetable, Audrey?
2: Uh, Rice! Rice.
1: Okay, what's your favorite vegetable, Audrey? Rice! If you don't understand why that's hysterical coming from the daughter of a dietician... Then you should probably study up on what rice actually is. But I thought it was really funny because, you know, they've got this great video. She's sitting there and, and the, their plate looks like the food plate, like the government food plate. You know, it's got some broccoli, it's got some rice, it's got a little piece of meat. You know, it's, it's just, and it's just all well proportioned. It's as if they looked at the food plate and said, okay, we need to make this plate look exactly like that because well, NBC News is here. And then they ask her what her favorite vegetable is. And it's rice. Okay, I've got to go to a break. When I come back, I have a guy who is at least 100 times smarter than I am when it comes to probiotics. And I know a couple things about probiotics. You're going to love this interview. He is great. He's. I, I will say this, not to butter him up because he's probably listening right now, but I learned more about probiotics in two hours on the phone with him than I have probably in all the hours I've studied probiotics up to that point. He's that good, you're gonna love him. When we come back, we've got Kieran on the phone and he's gonna talk about probiotics with me here on Vitality Radio. After decades of helping people with their nutritional supplement needs, I have observed something that seems almost universal. People seem to have a lot of products that they have experimented with. Some might have been recommended by a blogger online, others from a magazine article, and yet another, by a friend or family member. Information is coming at us at a rapid pace nowadays, and everyone has an opinion. The problem is that there is only one really big wild card in health and nutrition, and that wild card is you. I know you've heard the infomercials, seen the ads, or talked to that neighbor who has that cure-all product that can do it all for your health. The problem is that supplement doesn't exist. What's right for your neighbor isn't always right for you. At Vitality Nutrition, we've been asking the right questions for years. What I mean by this is, we don't just sell supplements. We consult with our clients and ask them the key questions needed to make sure we match the right supplement to the right person. If you feel better about a team approach to your health, give us a call, and one of our well-educated Vitality team members will answer your questions and help you find just what it is that you need to address your health concerns, naturally. You can reach us at 801-292-6662, that's 801-292-6662, or drop us an email, info at That's info at All righty. Welcome back to Vitality Radio. I'm Jared St. Clair. I am your host each and every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. I'm really excited today. It's a beautiful, beautiful Saturday for one thing. I mean, I'm looking out of the fifth floor studio at the top of the Vivint uh, Center or Vivint Home Smart, Smart People Arena, Smart, yeah, Smart Home. That's right. Uh, Those guys. And this is where the Jazz play, and uh, it's a really awesome studio because I get to look out over Salt Lake, downtown Salt Lake, and I get to look at the mountains in the distance. I get to see the sun shining in every Saturday morning. It's just a beautiful way to start your day. If you're not paying attention to the sunrise... And the sunset you better start because it is so good and we are given that because we need it we need to see that beauty every day because we see some ugly things in this life so focus on the beautiful ones instead all right so vitality radio of course brought to you by vitality nutrition in bountiful at 107 south 500 west you can call us anytime 801-292-6662 right now i've got this great interview the big interview And let me introduce this guy because he is really, really good. He's a microbiologist. His name is Kiran Krishnan. He's a microbiologist and a clinical researcher in the nutritional industry for the last 15 years. He's worked on several research trials on nutritional products. He is the senior science officer for Physicians Exclusive and is currently involved in some probiotic-specific clinical investigations. I said before the break, he's probably the smartest guy I've ever talked to about probiotics. Kiran, are you with us?
2: Yes, I am. Great to be here.
1: Hey, I'm super excited to have you on. This is going to be a great interview. I want to get right into it by asking you this, and that is, why the heck do probiotics even matter?
2: Great, great question. So let's talk about, you know, what we assume probiotics to be doing. Um, We start off with the gut microbiome, and for anyone who's not uh, familiar with the term microbiome, What we're talking about is the collection of organisms that exist in and on your body, including their genetic elements. And that's a very uh, important point as well, which I'll elaborate on in a second. But the microbiome controls so much more of our health and wellness than we ever, ever imagined. Uh, Think about it this way. So the human genome contains 25,000 genes and uh, you know and we think of ourselves as these very sophisticated uh cognitive uh, you know creatures much more so than any anything else any uh, anything else that's living in the uh on the planet right now but we contain 25,000 genes versus a rice plant only has 30 uh, has 38,000 genes so we have less genes in our body in our chromosomes than a rice plant does And so then you have to ask the question, well, how do we perform all these high-level biochemical functions? How do we have such great cognition? You know, how have we survived to get to the top of the food chain? And that really comes from the microbes that live in our system. There are 3.3 million microbial genes in our system. They outnumber our genes 150 to 1, and they outnumber us in terms of cells, Ten to one. There's a hundred trillion microbes that live in the gut, and there's ten trillion human cells that make up the entire body. So the question is, who's really in control here? You know, they outnumber us in genes, and we utilize their genetic material to actually make protein and and carry on metabolic function and we actually are dependent on them for over a thousand different types of proteins that they make for us that we can't make ourselves. So the health of the microbiome within the gut is extremely important for overall wellness. It doesn't matter what you eat, how much exercise you do. It doesn't matter the food and lifestyle choices you make. If your microbiome is dysfunctional, none of that will really be appreciated through your, through your body. You know, we, um, we, we, we always say you are what you eat, but it's the, new, uh, the new thinking is you are what you absorb and all the great nutrition that you put in your body through good, healthy food choices and all that doesn't make it to your cells without the help of the microbiome. And so probiotics are a great way of helping the microbiome, a great way of modulating it. And so we need probiotics in order to live a truly healthy lifestyle. And again, it affects everything. You know, we have a uh, direct effect on the brain from the gut. The gut is the only organ in the body that can work autonomously of the brain. Uh, the brain controls virtually every other organ, every other part of the body, but the gut works on its own. It's its own system. It's its own being. And in fact, the gut influences the brain in many different ways. It's got a direct connection to the brain through the vagus nerve system and the enteric nervous system and actually can make you have cravings, can change the way you deal with stress, can create anxiety, depression, can create brain fog and memory issues and cognitive dysfunction. Um, And then, you know, your knee pain and rheumatoid arthritis. No one would ever think, hey, my knee hurts. Um, It actually has to do with my gut. But that starts in the gut as well. So do most autoimmune conditions, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, virtually everything that we suffer from starts in the gut. And that's the biggest area sampling for your immune system. So your immune function is 100% dependent on your gut. So, you know, you cannot stress it enough how important digestive health is to overall health. Um, And considering how much they control our body and how much we're dependent on them, that's a major area of focus now of of research and science and therapy. So probiotics are getting really a lot of attention, uh, but then you have to question, you know, what really is a probiotic and um, which ones really function the way you expect a probiotic to function. So that's a whole different, um, you know, and a whole another topic to discuss as well.
1: Right, absolutely. I mean, the, the thing that, that you've, I think, expressed so clearly is that they are critically important to literally every function of the human body. Without it, uh, nothing else matters that much. It's it's sort of at the baseline of health, this microbiome. And yet, what's fascinating to me about it is how little we've known about that up until really just recently. Most of the studies on the microbiome are kind of new. Isn't that Right.
2: Absolutely, you know the we, we're fortunate when, and I always tell people we live in a very exciting time right now because of something called the Human Microbiome Project. This was a project that was launched by the NIH in 2007, and the U.S. government and NIH spent 157 million dollars on this project, and it sounds insane, but. Really, what they were doing was for the first time they were mapping the human genome, um, and sorry, mapping the microbial genome in the gut and trying to understand what actually lives in the gut, how it's structured, what its functions are, and how it relates to disease. We never knew these, these things. You know, um, probiotics were discovered in 1902, and companies have been making probiotics since the early 1920s. But for the first... Um, almost hundred years of probiotic signs, we knew nothing about the gut. So the papers coming out of the Human uh, Microbiome Project really only started coming out in 2010, 2011. So we've only started learning about the gut in the last four or five years. And what we're starting to learn is many of our assumptions about the gut are totally wrong. And, um, and and so we have to rethink and re-understand how to utilize probiotics in order to fit the current model and understanding of what the gut really looks like.
1: Okay, so then let me ask a quick question because I think everybody is pretty aware that antibiotics are one of the big uh, things that gets in the way of probiotic function in the in the system, but can we talk about how detrimental antibiotics can be, but also what other reasons do we have to be concerned about our microbiome being under attack
2: yeah and in, and that 's a great question because that and it happens every day i I always tell people were our microbiome is under assault every single day in the modern world that we live in. So antibiotics are a huge factor, especially antibiotics early on in life as the microbiome is developing. That's within the first three to four years of life. And and as you know, the prevalence of kids having allergies, ear infections, and things um, before the age of three and four are quite prevalent right now. Uh, the use of antibiotics at that early age has a major impact down the line of um, on, on the immune health of the person. Now, the other things, it, you know, one study showed that it took about a year for your microbiome to recover from a single ten-day dose of clindamycin and that's without you know doing any sort of therapies that are specific to try to recover the microbiome now other than antibiotics um... even things like fluoride in your drinking water has a major impact on it. Preservatives in food, antimicrobials that are used in food products, processed food products, um, even the the type of air you breathe, the type of household cleaners that you utilize. One study came out to show that households that use Clorox-based cleaners had a, had kids that had a much higher incidence rate of developing. Flu, viral infections, and then also immune dysfunctions, things like allergies, asthma. So, you know, people with good intentions are thinking about cleaning their house and disinfecting their house. But the problem with it is we live in a highly disinfected world, which means that we're not getting enough interaction with the microbes. And the microbes that we are interacting with are the ones that can actually harm us more. And so the hygiene hypothesis shows us that we're way too clean. Uh, We also don't get outside enough. We don't interact with the microbes in the environment, in the dirt which many studies have shown to be very important in developing um, a really robust, healthy microbiome. Uh, The processed foods we eat select for very specific types of bacteria that actually cause more inflammation in the gut. They've now directly correlated the development of cancer, heart disease, diabetes, um, even things like chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia to eating highly processed foods and what those are converted to in the gut by not-so-favorable bacteria. You know, so the food, the chemicals, the um, air we breathe, the smog and things coming out of the uh, back tailpipe of the cars, um, even the water we drink, of course, all the sugars that we consume, all these things impact the gut on a daily basis.
1: So in other words, more than ever, we need to be concerned about uh, taking care of this. Now, I have something called the vital five, and it's the five things that I think everybody should, everybody would benefit from using on a daily basis in terms of supplements, and one of those is a probiotic. So Right. right now, there is probably more confusion about probiotics than there is any kind of clarity. You know, when I was a kid working at Vitality Nutrition way back in the day, we called probiotics acidophilus. That's what we had. And, uh, you know, it was like 100 million units or uh, maybe 500 million units would be a super strong one. I remember when I was a teenager, uh, they came out with one that was 3 billion units. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's so much, right? And then you said that uh, we have, what, 100 trillion units in in a healthy gut. So when you start comparing trillions to billions, a billion is, of course, a drop in the bucket, right? So then now we have companies doing 100 billion and 150 billion and 200 billion. Talk to me about the, the potency of a probiotic and how much that really matters and why are we seeing these probiotics getting more and more and more potent?
2: Yeah, and that's you know that's a great question because that causes so much confusion to the consumer when you go out to the store and you're looking at the shelf, you know, how do you really choose each one? Each company is is making different claims as to why theirs is better. And a lot of it uh, relates to potency and a lot of it relates to number of strains in a product. Now, what we have to remember is we've only really understood, started starting to understand the microbiome in the last four or five years. Most of these products had been formulated decades before we ever knew anything about the gut, right? So, most of the probiotic products out there are driven by marketing And when you study the microbiome and you study the literature and the science like I do, what you start to find is there's virtually no scientific validation for a product that has 100, 200, 300 billion CFU. The concentration does not matter that much. And the number of strains does not matter that much. It's really the quality of the strain that makes a difference. You are better off taking a single strain that has certain capabilities. We could talk about what those capabilities are in a probiotic, um, but a single strain at two, three billion dose, than 15 strains at half a, you in, know, in half a trillion or 500 billion dose, um, the single strain would be far more effective in terms of modulating and supporting the microbiome. So. It's clear, and I, you know, I've I've done an extensive literature search on this. There is no scientific validation at all for having more strains and more CFUs. That is purely a marketing thing for products to try to stand out on the shelf to consumers who are walking by and that's an unfortunate thing if you look at the vast majority of probiotic studies that are done they're usually done with a single strain and it's a highly specialized strain and the typical dose is between two and four billion of that particular strain and there's virtually no studies on these multi strain four or five two hundred billion cocktails at all you know so that's a myth that's very important to start to bust for consumers because they're going out there and spending their hard-earned good money on these, strain, on these products with so many strains in such high concentration that's just kind of moving right through your system. You know, they die in the stomach and they move right through as dead bacteria. So I always call it dead bacteria therapy. You know, there's no reason to be spending $30, 40 $50 a month on dead bacteria therapy when there are strains that can really perform some amazing probiotic functions in the gut.
1: All right. Okay. So you've piqued our interest now. it's I've got to cut to a quick break. When I come back, we're going to talk about a couple of things that I think are really important what type of strains really matter and have been clinically proven to be the most effective at those low doses? That's going to be one question uh, that I want to ask. And then we're going to get into what can people expect to actually see in terms of benefit? How can these lower dose strains that are really, truly effective impact your health? That's what we'll get into when we get back. You're listening to me, Jared St. Clair on Vitality Radio. Insurgent Sports Nutrition is a brand new sports supplement company with a unique philosophy, refuse to conform. In the sports nutrition industry, one company starts something and has some success and everyone else tends to follow their lead. What you end up with is a bunch of me-too products that don't add up to anything special. What you typically see on the market are formulas with all kinds of ingredients that look good on the label, but do very little to advance your training and performance. At Insurgents, our motto is everything you need, nothing you don't. While many brands put the right ingredients in a product, most don't put the right dose. There are clinical trials for a reason, to prove not only if an ingredient works, but also how much of that ingredient it takes to provide the desired effect. At Insurgents, we won't add an ingredient to a formula unless we can add the clinically effective dose. Our first formula is our Insurgents pre-workout. Pre-workouts nowadays are a dime a dozen. They even sell them at the big box stores. The vast majority of pre-workouts on the market are overdosed on caffeine and other stimulants and underdosed on the stuff that actually increases your performance. Insurgent's pre-workout has all of the most critical ingredients to improve endurance, strength, energy, and without the crash that comes with a mega dose of stimulants. Insurgent's pre-workout comes with or without caffeine and has no additional stimulants. If you want a truly effective, hype-free pre-workout that tastes great, is free of artificial colors, and absolutely does the job, refuse to conform and join the Insurgents. For more information about Insurgents pre-workout, call Vitality Nutrition, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. All righty, we're back on Vitality Radio. I am Jared St. Clair. I'm your host each and every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. talking health, nutrition, fitness, all things in between, of course, all about helping you find your best vitality. Vitality Radio, always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition and Bountiful at 107 South, 500 West. You can call us at 801-292-6662. All right, so today I've got Kiran. Krishnan on the phone, and we're talking about probiotics. Now, before the break, Kuran, we talked about something that I think most people are very confused about because I get people coming in just yesterday. I had somebody come into Vitality Nutrition and say to me, I know it needs to have like 10 to 15 different strains because I read about that online, and I want at least 50 billion units. Those were the criteria for a good probiotic based on what he had read. So you say that 50, 100, 200, 300 billion units, there's not really any good research showing, supporting that one is better than another uh, in terms of potency. And you say high level of strains doesn't matter a whole lot. It's about the quality of the strains. So tell us about the strains that matter
2: yeah and that's a great question, so you know and 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 part of the problem is there's a lot of misinformation on the internet um There's a number of um health providers who have set up these kind of false criteria, and I don't know where they're getting it from i I think in large part it's because to promote certain products that they're affiliated with, but I've heard seventeen strains is a critical number, some people say fifteen strains, you know fifty billion, just like you mentioned um it just it there's no science behind it at all so the strains that really do matter are the ones that are designed by nature to act as probiotics and what do i mean by that so a probiotic should be a strain that first Can naturally survive through the gastric system because of course we have to consume them and the gastric system is called a gastric barrier um, because it's a it's in fact a very very harsh environment for virtually any bacteria you know our our pH in our stomach gets down to one and sometimes less than one but typically between a pH of one and two and that's a very very harmful pH to 99.9 percent of bacteria So it has to be able to get past the gastric barrier because in order for it to function as a probiotic, it has to be a live microorganism. It has to get to the intestines alive. Now once it gets to the intestines, Remember, it has 100 trillion competitors in there. You know, it's, it's the real estate in the intestines is really, really, really expensive. And so it's got to have some amazing abilities to be able to bind to the intestinal lining and actually fight for nutrients and space and actually conduct metabolic function in the gut. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is a probiotic has to come from the outside, right? Because, it's, of course, it exists somewhere in the outside world before we consume it. The outside world is an aerobic world, meaning it, there's a uh, rich saturation of oxygen, which we are all grateful for because we breathe oxygen, but inside your gut, most people don't know, is actually an anaerobic environment, meaning there's no oxygen, so the bacteria that live in the gut are anaerobic species in fact that they're so anaerobic that oxygen is actually toxic to them and so a probiotic a true probiotic should be one that can live in both an aerobic environment where there's oxygen and an anaerobic environment which is in the gut um, and actually function in those two very different environments so those are some very important criteria for what type of strains can actually function as probiotics now, when I started researching, you know, probiotics ten years ago to see what kind of strains in nature have this natural capability to function as a probiotic with these unique set of features, I came across environmental bacteria called uh, Bacillus spores. And Bacillus spores are really these amazing bacteria that our ancestors were exposed to every day with every single meal they ate. You know, our ancestors lived close to the land; they were hunters, gatherers forged for food they basically ate dirt and in eating dirt they got huge exposure to these bacteria because they sit in the in the soil and in natural environments in streams rivers in the desert dust um they sit there dormant in a endospore form Um, until they get swallowed. Once they get swallowed, they move through the gastric system and they can survive the gastric system because they're in this endospore form, which means that they're covered with this uh, armor-like coating, if you will, that they create for themselves. And then as soon as they get into the upper GI, the duodenum, they come out of this armor-like coating and function as a live probiotic bacteria in the gut. And that's a very, very important characteristic. So they are designed by nature to be able to survive through the gastric system. They're one of very, very few probiotic strains that can actually do that. If you, in fact, if you look at the research, vast majority of strains that are used in probiotics today die in the stomach. You know, and and if you look at uh, a store, typically, a lot of them are refrigerated. And if you ask the people why are they refrigerated, well, they're refrigerated because they don't survive. They're not that viable even at room temperature. You know, and inside the body is 98 degrees and a pH of one. So these strains that are used in probiotics tend to be very, very sensitive. They're not really designed by nature to act as probiotics versus these bacterial endospores have that capability now the question is, what do they do in the gut for you? You know, What are they doing as a probiotic? Well, they're doing something very important. They're reconditioning the gut to favor the growth of your natural good bacteria that you got from mom when you're born. Now, most of the bacteria that you have in your gut you got from mom passing through the birth canal, hopefully, that, if you did. If you got C-section, you got some of it, but you have slightly different types of microbes in your gut. And then if you're breastfed, you got Six to 800 different species of bacteria in mother's milk, including uh, a whole bunch of prebiotics to help it seed in your gut. The studies show that within about two and a half to three years, you've got your full adult microbiome already, and that's the lacto and bifido strains that you typically have in your gut. Now, the rest of your life, you're exposed to bacteria in the environment, and that bacteria in the environment, some of them have this capability of, of acting as a probiotic. So let's talk about what it actually does in the gut. First thing a true probiotic can do in the gut or should do is something called quorum sensing. Now, that's a fancy word that microbiologists use. Basically, it means bacteria talking to each other. And every bacteria in the world puts out their own chemical signature. And that chemical signature can be read by other microbes. So these, and these Bacillus endospores actually have the ability to get in the gut and identify the presence of pathogenic and overgrown organisms. When they do that, they will actually produce antibiotics in the gut itself to kill off bad bacteria. And because of that unique capability, they're actually used in Europe and in Asia as a prescription drug for the treatment of bowel infections, things like dysentery, campylobacter, even C. diff in some cases. And so they have this ability to find and eliminate the bad bacteria. Now, at the same time, they're producing nutrients to actually enhance the growth of your good bacteria. So I think of them as like the police of the gut. You know, they go in there, they seek out the bad guys, and they, and they bring up the growth of the good guys. That's the first most important thing because the definition of dysbiosis, which is a word that's used to describe somebody whose digestive tract and microbiome is off balance, is an imbalance of good to bad bacteria. And so when you have a bacteria that can make that shift, uh, that really starts to resolve many different health issues that people tend to have. So that's the first important feature. You know, and that's why I love these bacterial endospores because when I started looking at them, they've been prescription drugs in Europe and Asia since 1952. They've been using them for over 60 years in hospitals and clinics and doctor's offices in, in three-fourths of the world and just not in the U.S., and, um, and, and that was the focus that we focus our research on to study these a little bit more, understand the clinical uh, research behind it, and be able to bring them here to the States to make them available to consumers here in the United States. So those are very important bacteria. The other thing they do is they help you digest your food. Um, more than 60 70 percent of food digestion is dependent on bacteria in the gut we produce very few enzymes that actually break down all the types of food that we eat um, so we need them to di- to break down the food ass- assimilate the nutrients so that we can absorb it They also produce a whole bunch of nutrients in the gut for you. So they produce a full array of of B vitamins in active form. They produce vitamin K. They produce CoQ10. They produce ubiquinol. And then there's one very special strain that was newly discovered called Bacillus Indicus that actually... Produces antioxidants in the gut for you, and these are the most bioavailable forms of these antioxidants. These are things like astaxanthin, zeaxanthin, beta carotene, alpha carotene, lutein, lycopene, things that people spend a lot of money on to take as supplements for brain health, eye health, you know, immune health, antioxidant power, etc. Now the last part is they when they get into the colon, they increase something called butyrate production and short chain fatty acids. Butyrate has a very powerful effect on healing the gut. In fact, a lot of people now can go to a hospital and get a butyrate enema on a daily basis if you have a high risk of colon cancer or any type of bowel disease because butyrate does a phenomenal job of healing the the bowels and actually increasing the growth of bifidobacterium and other good bacteria within the the, uh, large intestine itself. So these are some of the things that they perform. And the last part is they modulate the immune system. They're so important in training the immune system on how to function that we count on them virtually 80% for the ability of the immune system to recognize favorable and unfavorable responses. Of course, we all know unfavorable, unfavorable responses as allergies and autoimmune type of reactions versus favorable responses as going after the invading bacteria, viruses, parasites, etc. So our immune system counts on the presence of these bacteria to train it and tutor it on how to make those different distinctions within the body so that's just a, a quick overview of what these unique bacteria do within the gut and they come from the environment you know they've been created by nature they've been there for thousands and thousands of years they've been there th- all throughout the course of human evolution and our ancestors consume them in great abundance we live in too much of a sterile world right now where we don't get exposure to them anymore
1: Absolutely, I talk about that constantly on Vitality Radio with all the antibacterial this and that and everything else that we're doing to wipe out the good guys, not just the bad guys. So with the probiotics, then you've uh, very effectively, I think, explained what the, what a good probiotic is. You've talked about these spores. I've been talking about one called Bacillus coagulans for a long time. Uh, that was the first one I ever heard of, and it was when I met you uh, that I found out about these other three uh, unique uh, Bacillus uh, spores that. That really have these uh, beautiful effects there is a formula now on the market called Just Thrive that contains all four of these uh, unique uh, spores and that it I find it to be the most effective, most kind of, I would say, fascinating, really, probiotic out there because it covers the bases so well. My favorite part of what you just said was right at the beginning when you said that they go in and they do two main, uh, perform two primary functions. They make it hard for the bad guys to live in there and they make it easy for the good guys to live in there. And so when I first talked about the billions and the hundreds of billions and then the hundred trillion good guys that are supposed to be in the gut, I talked about a billion. Sounding like a drop in the bucket, and it does. And so it's, it seems logical to people, and that's why the marketing works on this 100, 200, 300 billion strain stuff, that the more billions you have, the more benefit you'll get because you've got to treat, uh, you've got to fill up a, a gut that's supposed to have 100 trillion of these guys in there. But the beauty of these spores, as I understand it, is that a billion goes a long, long ways because not only does it all get in there, But once it's there, it helps the other stuff proliferate like it's supposed to and really, really makes it a friendly environment for the good guys. And so one billion multiplies very quickly. You have to remember that these are bacteria people. They they live, they breathe, they grow. They do what they're supposed to do uh, on their own if they're given the right support in order to do that. And so one billion can uh, yield a whole lot more than what it sounds like. So, Karan, I've, yeah. I've got about two more minutes with you, uh, and so I want to talk, ask you this question. And if you, if you wanted to clarify what I just said, go for it. But then I want to also have you hit the point of how you recommend using uh, the Just Thrive probiotic and, um, uh, in terms of uh, coming off of antibiotics or just daily use uh, for different conditions people that might, might want to use it for.
2: Yeah, and that's extremely important. So, just to um, uh, you know, add something else to what you said, we actually did um, on on the Just Drive probiotic. We actually did some some research work on it, and what we found was just one billion of those strains uh, changed the microbiome. This was actually work done on a full microbiome uh, by thirty percent. So that's a thirty trillion organism change just by one billion of these guys because they're so powerful in affecting positive change in the in the gut itself so it's not even you know we're not talking about theories and hypotheses. we've actually shown this in scientific research so you're totally right that even just a billion of these guys are extremely powerful now the just thrive formulation which is my favorite probiotic in looking at one that functions like a true probiotic like nature intended has 3 billion of these guys. So it's a very powerful product. It can make some phenomenal changes both in your metabolism, your immune system, and how your body digests and and, and actually consumes food. Now, we, we tell everyone to start with one capsule a day. It's a very simple product with 30 caps in it. Uh, so you start at one capsule a day, and you take it with food, unlike a lot of other probiotics we tell you to take it on an empty stomach, but take it with your meal, either right after or with the meal. Now, if you're going under an acute condition, for example, you're suffering from a flu or sinus infection, you're traveling, you're eating foods that aren't very you know, um, good for your system, and you can feel some... Gurgling in the stomach coming on. You can bump up that use to two or even three capsules at a single time, and um, and and you do that for a few days until your your symptoms get better. But the but the great maintenance dose is just one cap a day. It's so simple. It gets in there, proliferates, and it and it you know acts as a gut police. It's there to protect you every day, um, and it's absolutely great and essential for kids as well. Kids eat very poorly as I'm sure you've talked about many times on your show you know as poor as adults eat kids even eat worse and and the microbiome for kids are still changing and it affects them for the rest of their lives kids with poor microbiomes have a much higher propensity for developing allergies asthma and autoimmune conditions down the road so it's very important to get it into kids. We we work with kids with it as early as six months. A single cap you can open it up and mix it in virtually any food. These are extremely stable bacteria. They don't need to be refrigerated. You can put them in hot food. You can put them in cold food. Um, you can travel with them and leave them in your hot in your hot car. And if you're in Texas in the summer, and so you want to get kids started on it because that's when the immune tutoring happens. Um, exactly. These bacteria will actually help tutor your kids' immune system. To figure out what to react to and what not to react to and then start breaking down the foods and lowering the inflammation that the gut and the rest of the body experiences. So extremely important. My favorite probiotic, in fact, I'm doing two other clinical studies on it right now, one on leaky gut that's showing great promise, and uh, we just finished one on liver failure patients who suffer from very high ammonia levels. And what we show is that it reduces ammonia, methane, hydrogen gas in the in the body quite dramatically.
0: That's awesome. So those of
2: you with all the bloating and all the you know distension in the belly after eating, it's it fixes all of that. And so You're it's quite an amazing product
1: i'm gonna have to cut you off sorry we got to go to we got to end up the show hey thank you for joining us i got to have you on again there's way more to talk about that's just thrive the most amazing probiotic i've ever seen you guys got to check it out thanks for joining me on vitality radio
0: you've been listening to the vitality radio podcast enjoy your week In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair, produced by Elizabeth Joy Wyndham, with very limited help from Jared. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source.